Better, you're my best man. How do you not know the year I was married, Bob? That's crazy. How do I not know? It was like a thousand years ago. <sighs> He's my research, guys. I yeah. guess we're ruining his credibility already. You, you brought me out of the archives. I did. Bob Pye and Brian Lane and Justin Passamonte bring you episode number 10. Ooh. It's the Hempletic Podcast, produced in Rochester, New York, in this wonderful studio. Justin's the man. Thank you, Jay. Great. I have, I have one first thing that I need to bring up. I have a disclaimer of sorts. I have to say that I am absolutely not an expert in anything. Okay. I have a little knowledge here and there of some things here and there, but in regards to being an expert, no, I was kind of, um, thrown off base last episode. I didn't realize that Brian was going to hand me the horse, show me the track and say, I hope you're a good jockey. Good luck. And, uh, he did great. Oh, great. Thanks. So what, what are we talking about today? So today, uh, what I've decided, I do like to have themes. I feel like it's good for both myself as far as projects. So what I've decided is every 10th episode is going to be a little bit of a deep breath, kind of review the last nine episodes, nine episodes doing one a week. Da -da 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 -da. It's almost three months. So I feel like that gives us about four to five times a year where we kind of settle in and think. And it just feels like yesterday that I just started. Yeah, and you did. Yes, you are late to the, you are late to the party, but there's never late because the party continues forever. So this party is just getting started. And the blip of things, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I was there in the beginning. Oh, yeah, that's right. I missed a couple of those first episodes. So here we are at episode 10. So this one is going to be a little bit about my life because I am finding out here in the general public of Rochester, not so much when I travel, but I'm in Rochester. People don't know how to take me or what really I'm about. Is it because you're a spaz? A little bit. That's definitely one of the nicknames. And Bob, why don't we go through some of the nicknames you've known about me over oh, my life? Okay. When I first met you, I realized that this guy was a little energetic and I'm being sarcastic. He was a lot of energetic. I mean bouncing off the walls constantly. I don't know where he got it from, where he got his reserves from. So we started calling him Spaz. Then later on, as we took him out on the trails and we went hiking, he became Speed Racer or on the field when he was performing his athletic abilities, it became Johnny Allsport. So those are the ones that I referred to him and it just went almost endless when it became Brian, you, you no longer had a name Brian because there were so many nicknames to choose from. I forgot about Johnny Allsport. Oh, Johnny Allsport. How can you forget about that? That was so funny. So Bob, Bob met me about when I was 16. He was a, I mentioned this previous episode. Yeah, he was a supervisor at Friendly's where my eventual stepfather was the manager at the time. Bob was a great mentor to me. I picked I, him and I right away enjoyed the verbal back and forth because I was never that guy that liked to follow the norms. Um, my mom would definitely, if she was alive right now, she'd be on here going, yes, Brian was a pain in my ass, which we will get into. So what I want to do with this episode a little bit is kind of explain where I'm from and why I have the energy I have and, and why I am who I am, because it's all about my family. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Whatever reason, my soul was put into the middle of this freaking awesome family. I'm the oldest of all the grandchildren of uh, grandparents, Gordon and Francis Smith. Uh, they are absolutely phenomenal. My grandfather used to own Smith Flower Shop on Hudson Avenue. 
in the city of Rochester, New York, I love to tell this story because it's really the, the origins of my family. Everything was about this family business right from the day I was born. They were into it before I was even around. But my mom was a second born of seven kids. And and just to go over a little bit before I get off too much of this, Bob, you you and I talked a little bit about a podcast about my mom and I's relationship. And um, I was never that kid that would accept uh, the rules of everybody. I always had to question it. I always had to want to know why we were doing things or why things were done. Or if there was other information out there, I wanted to bring it to the table. But my family is that... Christian Catholic family that did everything, you know, old wives tales were followed and everything about the Catholic church, whatever they said was what we were going to live. I had to kiss everybody coming into a room and leaving the room every time I came into a family party. And Bob was around enough in my family where at a point, I'm sure he had to do the same thing for a few years when he was hanging out with us. Um, cause, cause my family also used to go to the restaurant that he was a waiter at as well. Uh, especially my aunt Janice and uncle Joe, uh, Boz Dykes. Um, and I know they used to see Bob a lot. Um, so Bob, tell, explain the relationships you saw between my mom and I um, when we were around in my teen years, because I was a little bit uppity then. I was a little t- too high energy. I, I can just remember some of the times going over to your house and your mother would be kind of heated for something foolish that you've done. And she would be just yelling at you and yelling at you. And I, I had to just laugh because there's this Brian doing what he does best, getting in trouble. He he seemed to enjoy it sometimes. And it was, I don't know. It, Define the trouble, though, because some people are thinking we're talking jail, we're talking people that right. bail me out. Definitely I mean, not on, that kind yeah, of trouble. I mean, let's it define just, it. It's, it's your average run-of-the-mill, I'm a troubled teen, pain-in-the-neck kind of thing. Not like he's breaking into houses and stuff like that. So he was a good boy. Some, Too much energy, and I, I always yeah. said what was on my mind. That's usually what got me in trouble. Right, right. If anything, because my, cause my mom, so the, when I was born, um, uh, so uh, first, I'm stepping too far ahead. <laughs> Gordon Smith, my grandfather, he was the man who loved to smile, laugh, and dance. So he had a flower shop where 15 family members pretty much worked every holiday, which meant my Aunt Janice, my mother, Judith, and my Aunt Jill, they were all arrangers, flower arrangers, and very good at their job. My grandfather uh, learned the business from his mother, who owned a previously owned a flower shop in Rochester. And I believe it was, I don't remember what the name of it is, I apologize. It was on Dewey Avenue. No, it wasn't on Dewey, it was on uh, North Clinton, I believe. Uh, but this is way back in the 60s. Oh. So that my grandfather started Smith Flower Shop in 69, 70, 1970 maybe. I was born in 72. So the girls were already... They were already doing my grandfather's work for him, and my grandfather, they did very well. Through, they, they all worked hard. So from the time I was five, six years old and we took orders, uh, you know, I was very good in, in the work setting. Uh, I was delivering flowers with one of my uncles in a, in a van from the time I was six, seven years old, and that meant I was never in school on Valentine's Day. I was never in school the Friday before Easter or maybe half a day, um, the Friday before Mother's Day rarely because I was out helping the family business for that three-day three days or that one day of Valentine's Day, uh, I was required pretty much to be there. It was great. I would have had it no other way. My grandfather, when you walked in his flower shop, it was a friendly atmosphere. We were in an old Polish neighborhood near Franklin High School and Stanislaus Church and School. That's a Catholic school in Rochester. Most of my family has been baptized and married in that church. It is a beautiful, you ever come to Rochester and you want to see an old style, beautiful 
Catholic Church, St. Stanislaus is at the stained glass in that place. It's just amazing. Did you ever go in there, Bob? Were you ever in there? I think my daughter was baptized there, I believe. I'm not sure. Oh, it's a beautiful church. It's right next to Franklin High School and where most of my family went to high school as well. Um, So it was a mixed Polish neighborhood, Hispanic neighborhood, black neighborhood. Uh, when I was growing up, so I was delivering flowers in zone 14621. For those of you who know, shout out for Rochester, 14621. That's pretty much from the Genesee River to Portland Avenue. From the city line, uh, like inner city line, zone 05. So like the inner loop all the way up to pretty much Eastridge Road. That whole area in Rochester, I know like the back of my hand. I've been delivering flowers there since when I was seven till I was 22 years old when... I was finally stopping to help the company that took over my grandfather's flower shop. But we had high energy. He had two walk-in coolers. And this is the secret I love to tell about flower shops to people. If you're ever in a bad mood and you're in a neighborhood where there's a flower shop, walk into that flower shop, stick your head, open the cooler where the fresh flowers are, and stick your head in there and just take a big, deep breath. It will invigorate you in a heartbeat. So I used to, the minute I used to get to my grandfather's flower shop, I would walk through the front door, say hello, do my hugs and kisses to everybody who was there because that's what I had to do from the time I was born. I think I was six months old and I had to kiss and hug everybody and family going in and out of parties. So, but then I would go right to the two coolers. I'd walk into the first one. I'd ask my mom, my aunts, do you need anything out of the cooler? Because they knew that's where I was going. Go into the first cooler. And then the back cooler, I would get scared because there was a couple two-car garages back there in storage. My, it was a little bit dark back there. So I would only go back there if there was other people back there. And my grandfather would love to lock me in the cooler and mess with me because that's what he did. My grandfather was the big play guy. So he's the one that I got that playful attitude that got me in trouble a lot because I like to have fun to mess with people a little bit sometimes. And when I was in my 20s and teens... Bob and I like to do that a little bit together, Bob. Didn't we like to play a little bit? Well, no, I was always a good person. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, maybe I wasn't. Um, yeah, I think we had a, a lot of fun working at Friendly's. Uh, there was definitely the time when we closed and it was no customers and we can get away with whatever we wanted to. I mean, whatever we wanted to. But very respectfully. So at the time, my Kevin Heath was the manager of Friendlies at that time. Yeah, great, great generous guy. Great man. guy, great guy. We all respected him. So we would never done anything that disrespected him or Friendlies or anything else. But we just knew it was a safe haven at times if we need right. to have a safe haven. When and I we say, took care of that place. When like, I say whatever we whistle. wanted to, I said, I mean, in fun. You know, it's just like, as long as we didn't destroy the place. And we never did. Yeah, and we ripped the place off. Kevin uh, was known as a good manager, and we we definitely wanted to make him look like that. So we we respected him. Whew, he ended up marrying my mother, so that's how much I respect him. Right. So to continue, in the environment of the flower shop, there was some stress, obviously, because you're talking about weddings, funerals, people's Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. Like if, if my uncles and I just hurt any kind of flowers... And it broke anything, any vases in the truck by mishandling it. Holy crap, there was hell to pay. Like that whole night, my mom would ring me out. Really? You couldn't have taken care of that? We told you that vase was easily broken? Like, yes, that's how it was, folks. But at the same time, every time you walked in that flower shop, there was music. And anytime there was a song that you could dance to, those women were dancing while they were arranging flowers. They were moving, they were grooving. And I'm I'm telling this story because if anybody's seen me out in public and everybody right now who's listening is like, Ah, that's where Brian gets it. Because if I'm in an airport, if I'm walking a street, if I have music in my ears, my body's responding to that beat. It is subconscious at this point. 
Bob, you've learned to stop and smell the flowers to not, you know, word, word play or anything, but you definitely, this is, you're saying the beginning of where you've learned to appreciate the simple natural things, maybe the little stress reliefers. No doubt. It was built in back then and you didn't know it. Right. And I'm definitely seeing now from the perspective I have now is that stuff made me who I am. And now I'm able to finally, through all the stupidness I've done in the last 20 years, now I feel like I get it. Uh, Relax to, to enjoy the moments, but not worry about what anybody else is thinking about me in that moment. And with your high energy, you really needed to learn how to do that. But I, I was curious, did they ever diagnose you or set you up for diagnosis of ADHD or anything like that? Never. My mom, she knew I was, but it was never. I mean, here's, here's an example. So I'm, um, my mom's one of seven children. She's the second oldest. I'm the one of three children. I also have a stepbrother. So I'm the oldest of three. I was the first grandchild born into the family of this big, awesome family I'm just telling you about, which now is about 50 deep. And all of us are in Rochester, except really my cousin Jason and his wife, Allison, and their son. They're in Virginia. Everybody else is in Rochester. And we see each other still 10 to 20 times a year, minimum, everybody. And then Pieces of us are together all summer at our lake house in Canisius Lake, my aunt and uncle's lake house, lake house. So that's that's kind of how, how it's molded. But being the oldest of all the grandchildren, I had a lot of responsibility. Family business that we we're all in the middle of. I'm the oldest of all the grandchildren. So now I got to always watch out for all the other grandchildren from pretty much the time my brother's born, who's the second oldest of the, all the grandchildren, who's two years behind me. But so you my still brother had to look after him a lot. That's right. And so my brother, this is where I'm going with this. My brother has dyslexia. So he went to Mother Sorrows, which I did, which is a Catholic school in Rochester, New York. And nobody really knew why he was struggling. So my dad was that guy that was helping my brother every day, second, third grade with his homework. And people are calling him lazy and he won't do the work and he doesn't want to do everything. And my dad's like, no, I'm with this boy every day. He's working. He's crying. I don't know what's wrong. I don't understand. My mom didn't quite understand, but she was a huge advocate for him. So that's what it took to realize he had dyslexia. They moved him into the public school system. And it, you know, he went through that special ed program, which is what the kids with dyslexia do. It gives them that testing so they can do testing. It teaches them the ways they can be taught to, with it. So my mom was very good an advocate that way. But for me, for ADHD, it was go out and play. <laughs> Get your butt up. Like we were not allowed... We. We got video games as they came along, but she really would never, we never wanted to play video games lengths of time. So we did everything outside. We had, my dad was a baseball coach. We all had a bag of baseball gear that we would bike down to Lakeshore Playground and we'd have big softball games and, or whatever. And we'd have a group of guys at Lakeshore Playground where we constantly would would just play anything we could, dodgeball. Sure. She was telling you to get outside and expel That's that it. energy. Thank you. That was her answer to it. <laughs> so, so she was the best for me then. Yeah. And, and in high school, what kind of sports were you in? Yeah, this is great. I love this because I, for everything I do now and everybody sees, I'm very fortunate. I've done a lot of things in my life athletically. In high school, actually, I did very little. So my, for, so I played, we never had a lot of money. It was always, the money was for trips. So it was never like we could do camps and all the stuff. We do one camp a year maybe. So my passions were basketball. That was my passion. I played soccer sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I wish I'd played in high school because I feel like I could have contributed to the Arcadia program, but I wasn't focused enough to to follow through and everything. So I played basketball and football my freshman year. Played basketball my sophomore year sophomore year for for Greece Arcadia, where I graduated in nineteen ninety. 
I played golf my senior year. I got cut from the basketball team my junior year. Uh, they had a very good team, deep, and I sprained my ankle during tryouts. So no matter what I did, I couldn't have made that team. That team was deep. They ended up winning sectionals and going to states. Um, and just great team. So I had no shot. So then senior year, instead of going and trying out, I felt like um, the coach had a sophomore son who was a point guard, and I would have been a backup point guard if I'd played for them. So I didn't. I played CYO junior and senior and played with my friends, and that you you saw us playing all together. We played CYO high school basketball. So that's my actual, like, sports that I played for school. You never uh, lost that love for basketball. I can see that yeah. just by holding this basketball in my hand. Yeah, I got, a ba- I got basketball fidget toys to keep me focused here, folks. So, yeah, so basketball is by far my passion. Um, I actually plan to be in Las Vegas for the NBA Summer League this year because when I heard it was created, I was like, this is the best thing ever. All the basketball players from the country coming to one spot for three weeks, just basketball, playing, talking basketball. That, to me, is that's like, oh. I, I just enjoy playing the game. I love having the ball in my hands. I love um, just smiling and laughing. You know, I'm, I'm in a league on Thursday nights, and at times I used to take it a little too seriously, and now I'm finding I'm definitely having more fun with it and creating even more relationships um, through through playing basketball because people see my energy. And, and I, so here I just find myself as Keith, uh, Keith Smart, everybody, for those of you basketball fans out there. That's the best person I can. And Bob's like, who the heck is that? <laughs> I basically am aggressive, tedious, in your face, pretty good defensively, uh, streaky shooter, can take the ball to the rack, and uh, maybe like a 60% free throw shooter. <laughs> There's not enough of that sound when I shoot. That's my weakness. Um, so I want to paint a little more picture before Bob was the best man at my wedding. Back up, back up. Let's, yeah, let's go back to friendlies. Okay. You had a core group there. Mm. You're, you're good friends that it's strange that you all work together and you were really all good friends. Were you all good friends before you worked at Friendly's or did you become good friends when you were at Friendly's? Yeah. So I went to Mother of Sorrows, which was a grammar school, which had like 50 kids, 40 kids per class going up. So kindergarten, eighth grade. So several of us that worked at Friendly's together also went to school from kindergarten on. Uh, so people like Bill Whiting, uh, G.R. Ives came in later, but he played basketball with us from, from fifth grade. Uh, but then other people we met. So anybody that went in the public school system, Friendlies is where I started getting acclimated into the kids who went to the public school system. Because in Greece, I was around my family a lot. We were together like every weekend because my mom and my aunt were best friends. So I ended up, my mother, Sarah's fan, uh, friends were my base growing up and then my family. That's all I had. So anybody that went to public schools, I didn't have a lot. I played GCB baseball for a bunch of years. I was also a baseball player. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that. My dad would kill me. <laughs> I played baseball from T-ball up to 13, 14 years old. Um, but then uh, in eighth grade, I had a softball um, crash into my mouth and ended up killing all the front teeth, top front teeth of my mouth. And because of that, that that's really the hardest thing I've ever dealt with my whole life. I've spent probably over $25,000 of, of dental bills in my life, uh, minimum because of that incident. Um, so I, after that, I was afraid of baseball. And so I played softball as an adult league, but it's never been uh, a favorite sport of mine since then. So back to friendlies. All right. So I, this is where I'm coming in yeah. to your existence of life there. Mm-hmm. When did you start smoking pot at that age? So with, when I met you pretty much, so it was the summer so, it was, I can't, I had a trip to, no, it wasn't you. Then you were not the oh, one. Who, okay. It, I, yes. I can't, I can't handle that. <laughs> no, you weren't the one who, I know who's the one first one who introduced it to me. Actually, um, I had been holding off 
people had been asking me at 15, 16 years old if I wanted to, and I didn't want to because I didn't understand it. I was afraid of it. Uh, my Our parents, the culture made me afraid of it. Uh, but then I felt like I got to try it. I always knew I wanted to try everything, at least for myself, to know for myself what it was. And I knew I had alcoholism. There was alcoholism in my family. Um, so, And I was cognizant. I was not a kid, like I said, that would follow the norm. So I knew that there's alcoholism in the family and that's a bad thing. And I had to be careful of that. And I, had, I knew because of my personality and my energy, I had I always knew that I had to be careful of doing anything to any extreme. So I always had that built into me. And I think that was because my mom always kept me under hard thumb. I was that one kid who always that had the curfew, the earliest curfew growing up. I was the one that like, I couldn't have a car until I was 17, but both my brother and sister had one at 16 because the rules always got laxed after me. So I was that kid heavy under my mom's thumb. I could have easily been that guy to go to college and be like, oh, I'm free. I'm going to go drink my face off. Da, da, da. But because my uncle slipped a little cider to me over the years in the basement, so I felt like a buzz before, you know, I was 14, 15, 16, my grandfather and my uncle made hard cider, and they'd have a big 25-gallon barrel of it under the stairs that we'd pull off of all winter, and my uncle's, so my uncle's got me acclimated to alcohol properly, instead of my mom saying, no, 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 and then i go out and be crazy about it. So that's why I was never that crazy alcoholic when you were with us around 16, 17, 18 years old, because... I always kind of knew. I mean, you know, we drank high energy, but it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of blackouts, you know. All right. So, so without Please. getting too far ahead of ourselves, now you've introduced smoking into your life. Yeah, oh, and so it was, uh, let's, I'll tell you the moment. I was actually outside the window of Friendly's peeking in. I just got back from a trip from Florida with my family. It was like my big send off trip. Because uh, it was just before my senior year. It was summer before my senior year. So when I came back, Kevin Heath, who eventually became my stepfather, hired four beautiful college girls. And uh, when I came back, I was, when I was on the trip, you know, I was awkward with girls always. I was always a little immature. I'm a late bloomer in every way. I'm definitely a late bloomer. Probably my ADHD caused that. Plus the fact that I love my family. So I was definitely a family, not a mama's boy, but a family boy. I really gravitated to my family and hang out with my younger cousins. Uh, versus, but I liked, in, it was funny, I hung out with my younger cousins. That's who I love to be around. But I was always hanging out with the kids a grade older than me in grammar school and high school. I was never hanging out with the kids my own age. I always recognized I wanted to be around more mature people. And at Mother Cyrus, it was nice because there was a lot of kids of entrepreneurs in that school. So I always found kids of entrepreneurs versus kids of people who work in nine to five jobs tend to live life a little quicker, understand a little bit more, see a little bit more when they see their parents having to do all the paperwork of stuff in front of them, like functionally running a business, being, and having a kid in an environment of functionally running a business is different than having... Being like um, the son of my dad who went to work nine to five at the Rochester Telephone Company, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was always gravitated to people like that, always. Now, and not that my dad's life was great. My dad was a VP of operations for Paychex, or uh, not Paychex, excuse me, Paytech under uh, Shrewness when he retired. Like my dad, my dad killed it. My dad was awesome. But I'm just saying it's two different types of kids, I think, growing up in two different ways like that. Do you ever look back and try to see your exploration into smoking, if you didn't take that step, where would it lead, Where would your life would lead you? Without getting too ahead of yourself or anything like that. I would have been too high strung. I don't know. I probably would have got on some kind of pills or something because my the ball of energy, my mom used to call 
cannabis for me, my ADHD medicine. So I would sometimes go into cycles where I'd take a week off or two weeks off because when I smoked, so I was about a C plus to B average student, my freshman, sophomore, junior year, only because I didn't apply myself, not because I couldn't have. And my mom knew that. So all of a sudden my senior year pops and I smoked pot that summer. And basically what my routine was with cannabis was me and a couple of my friends or Bob, I would smoke, Bob and I would go to Wegmans, get some food. We'd go to his house, we'd smoke and we would do productive shit. We would do projects. We would write, we would like, we'd watch cool movies. We'd remember constantly. We'd, it was the right routine. If it wasn't us going out, it was you and I doing that. And that really helped me build learning how to use cannabis correctly, actually in that environment, because you and I would not just sit in your apartment also. I mean, and we had other people. We did adventurous stuff. Like, Bob created two movies. <laughs> like, like this is the stuff we did early on with me and cannabis. So this is, I think this is great. And I was so glad we we're getting on this right now. The foundation of what I do right now. So what I do now is I have a YouTube channel, podcast, a consulting company where I want to help people. Three hours free consulting, not charging them a penny. And then I have another business that's starting that should fund all of this very soon. I don't want to jinx it, but that's what's going on right now in my circle right now. But the foundation is from when I was hanging out there in my late teens and early twenties, one of the things, so Bob, let's talk about the two movies you created and how, no, no, cause it, get, all right, go ahead. No, no, I right. no, we'll get back. I promise. <laughs> so Ted quest was one of them and all it the world's so a stage. Terrible. So Wait horrible. A okay, so explain to people how you created the, so what year are we talking? We're talking 1989, 1990. So think about the technology then guys. There was, Bob was on the cusp of technology then with this. So go cusp ahead. of technology with a, a video camera with a VHS. That's a, that's the cusp of technology. Then it was, but you also had to do a mixer. Okay, let's just say that was the cusp of affordable technology. Uh, okay, the movie was horrible. I mean, the acting, you couldn't act, or nobody could act in this movie. Everybody was just so bad. And I tried to create these lines for people, and when they, when they were asked to say them, after like four or five takes, I'm like, okay, you know, we'll just go with that. And when I put it all together, it was so disorganized and you and were wondering you were wondering what is this story about the story was was called ted quest ted is this character that i created it's short for wasted so ted by the way is what we said when we were high and around everybody we would refer to cannabis as ted so ted was a my mom actually thought ted was a friend of ours she'd never <laughs> met but she didn't realize he was there every day oh he, he was there with us often not every day, oh yeah we, we would call up and say hey is, is Ted coming out tonight? Oh, yeah. Ted's coming. It, Ted, Ted will be there. Yeah, I'm going to see him. Ted's barbershop in Aranaquay. We have pictured anything <laughs> we see with the word Ted in it. T-E-D, Ted. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's been great. I've actually used that as my reference since that time. Ted, Ted Quest. So that is T-E-D, Ted. I it's still a reference have to that cannabis. video. Somewhere I have it too. I want the All the World of Stage. That's the one I can't find. Uh, I don't know where that I one need is. that one. That's what I'm missing. I don't think I have that anymore. I got rid of so many VHSs. I know, I know. So folks, so I do, with my YouTube channel, I'm trying to do production work from ski mountains where I make trail maps come to life. This kind of 
where I started with Bob, smoking cannabis, hang out with him and friends. So we were making movie, but so we were making movie as think about this. It wasn't like we were all meeting for hours and doing a movie. Like it would be like, okay, we're gonna do this tonight. Let we're gonna do some movie and we're gonna go do something else. Like, all right, we're gonna go down to the pier. We're gonna do some movie taping and then we're gonna go take a cooler beer out on the pier and hang out for a couple hours. Like it was that kind of thing, and that's that's why when I went to college, I didn't go and I wasn't like, and I don't want to. I went to Morrisville State first. It was oh. a two-year school. Yep. A mix of people from everywhere. New York City, Long Island, Jersey, Rochester, upstate New York, Pennsylvania. A good mix of people at Morrisville. One of the things I noticed is, sorry, garbage barge, but I'm going to throw you under the bus. Oh, the Long Islanders that came up and just wanted to drink their face off, and and, and they were awesome lacrosse players and soccer players and and salt of the earth guys. I mean, they were always good to me. Good buddies. I made friends there, but man, when they drank, you know, there was always a certain point where I was like, all right, I always never felt comfortable in that situation. It was just a lot of people drinking. And it was really that guy like frat party, one better than another. I'm this, I'm that like that environment's always pushed me away. Like I've never been because my grandfather used to always, one of the things my grandfather hated was people who would come into a room and tell you how you could do it better without actually picking up like a tool to help you do it better. Does that make sense? So in that from a frat boy environment, like where guys get goofy and they're just drinking beer and they want to one up each other. That's that same mentality to me. It's like just a bunch of guys like testosterone. Check me out. Uh. Dude, I'm about living life. What the hell you got to be proved? What proof shit by actions? Like you don't have to, I don't know. Like I was talking to a security guard. I was at a fish concert recently and do, do you have issues here? Never. No. The worst thing is when country bands come here and I got to watch a bunch of guys pissing because they're comparing who's got the biggest dicks. Well, let's not, let's not get know, too much on of a tangent. I don't know. I want to go back. Let's go back to the, uh, the, the concept of Ted. Uh, so Ted helped you focus. Smoking helped you focus. So I went from a C-plus B student to I was pretty much an A student my senior year. I didn't smoke. The only time I smoked was on the weekends, went through high school. Um, I did smoke before I played basketball. I picked that up really quick. I realized I was a better shooter from smoking. So um, my whole senior year, CYO, I was high almost for every game. Um, but I was a better shooter. I went from like eight point a game score to 20 points a game. Legit. Like seven, I think I averaged 17 points a game, 16 points a game my senior year, CYO. Now, obviously, the competition is different than anything else. But the year before that, I played with the same guys. And I only had eight points a game. Um, and that was the only difference. So um, it definitely helped my shooting uh, and my focus on the basketball court. Uh, it never took away from my wind or never, ever, ever has cannabis affected my cannabis, my uh, cardio in a negative way. Never. And has it helped you creatively? Oh, gosh. As a writer, like, so I went to Morrisville. I got a journalism, two-year journalism degree. Um, at the time, we put out one of the best newspapers ever. I did a big editorial on uh, Magic Johnson. Um, getting HIV, which, which, at the time Neil Banlow was one of the three professors there, and we're on a first name basis. He said it was one of the better stories I've read. Everything I wrote at Morrisville and Oswego after that, and the Plainham Times, I was probably on cannabis ninety percent of the time of my writing. Um, I would had a word processor pounding out. I was putting out a lot of copy. I mean, I was doing NFL uh, columns about the NFL for the Oswegonian college newspaper. I was working at the friendlies as a waiter and I was running the sports information department for a couple months while, or not a couple months, probably for about a month while the SID had a baby. Um, so I had to make sure the scores got called in for the college games. Any, I was kind of running the office. So that's what I did at once at Oswego. So that's, so people could see, wow, how can you do all this stuff? Like I've been doing 
piling on crap on my head since pretty much 13 years old. I had a paper route from the time I was 13 years old, a morning and afternoon route. So in the morning, I'd, I'd do my morning route, go to school, come home, do an afternoon route. So I pretty much ran twice because I ran the routes. I never, you know, I, I wanted to get everything done fast. So I, that was my natural workout. So I didn't realize that. So 13 years old, I was working out twice a day already, not knowing it was. So it's helped you create, be creative. It's helped you be grounded. Did it also help you see the world in a different point of view? Yeah, well, I mean, the first time I went to the Adirondacks with you, when you opened my eyes to the Adirondacks and cannabis and shrooms, that's what opened my eyes. And that's when I realized it's, it's church out there. I didn't know that when you go out there, all the positive scientific effects on your body by being in nature. I just knew that it was the closest thing to being in that cooler at my grandfather's house and that feeling I got. I was like, so, hmm, I go into the cooler at my grandfather's house or grandfather's shop. I sprint there, sprint, like sprint because I want to get in there so much for that smell. And now in the woods, holy smokes. And my, and my mom was awesome. So my, it's not that my parents didn't introduce me to the woods. They were big. Um, we had season passes at Darien Lake for a couple of years as a family. And this is also why we were tight. So we had season passes at Darien Lake as a family. Then we had a cottage together. It was a trailer with a little add-on. I don't know if you remember my graduation party, that little trailer out there at the end of Route 18. Off of Route 18 at the end of the parkway in Cuckville, we had a, we had a little trailer and there was about 15 of us that would go there every weekend. This little three-room trailer with a, a, a sign in the bathroom that said, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Journey's End was the tag over the name of it. And my grandfather, my, my, my dad introduced us to that. Oh, it was a, it was a crap hole and we ended up making the best ever out of it. But anyway, so that was my family together. So I knew being, it wasn't like I wasn't in the woods, but once you brought me to that Adirondacks, Bob, it was like the eye opener of, holy smokes, look how big this world is. The first time we got to the top of, what was the first mountain we climbed together? It was a blue mountain. I can't remember the first mountain we climbed. It was, I think blue, it was mountain, blue mountain. Yeah. And no, oh, no, maybe it was bald mountain right just outside of uh, old forge. No, I think we did blue before bald. Really? Yeah. Because it's, because bald, bald we took smaller. a trip after that, though. That was the trip. I was the winter trip. The first time I went bald. And we did mushrooms. Oh yeah, I did well. <sighs> so, anyways, folks, I, I, I here here's my mushroom story, real quick. I've done mushrooms in my life probably about twenty twenty five times. Um, I do a little less than an eighth when I do it. What it does for me is it get, puts me a little nice, easy, eases that ball of energy in my stomach a little bit. But it makes all five of my senses extremely heightened. So I am actually more safe and more sure of myself, um, if that makes sense, as long as I don't have alcohol involved. Now, I've, I've done it once in college with alcohol involved, and that's a different type of environment and, and everything else. But I learned early on I didn't need any alcohol with shrooms, and it was better with just cannabis and shrooms. I learned that very early in my life, like when I was 17, 18 years old in water. And obviously, hydration has always been important to me. I've always been well good about that, except for marathons. Anyways, so... I know we keep going on tangents. It's great. I try to paint this picture for everybody. This is why my constant energy just doesn't stop because my grandfather, so how about let's talk about my grandfather's toys a little bit. Why do, why do we all like our toys? Our whole family loves toys. And we had cottage together, like I said, during like season passes together. So our core of 15 people, 18 people I'm talking about, um, you know, my aunts and uncles, we really, how do you not tight? How, so I, I told, like I told someone the other day, my cousins and aunts and uncles are like brothers and sisters to me. And he looked at me so strangely because he, he considers his, his immediate family, his kids and his wife, and that's it. And that's the only people that like, 
he is immediately concerned about and everybody else is periphery. And he looked at me really weird, weird when I said, well, my family, my aunt, like my aunt is now my mother, as far as I'm concerned, my aunt Janice, my mom passed a pancreatic cancer at the age of 57. Ever since then, my aunt is pretty much my mother. Um, and my father and her husband, Joe, is has been a pseudo father mentor to me because my father um, moved away for a job, an awesome job in Charlotte. So he's the one who's kind of helped financially keep me and my brother and sister going and allowing us to travel as much as we have um, while raising kids as single parents. Um, so it has been a great mix of my, my family because I've had strong presence here close to me. And then my father, who is that great loving guardian from afar where he, know, he knows what we need when we need it and he's there when we need it. I've, I've been very fortunate. So, but I've also been on my own since the age of 17. So my parents split. How about this? My mom, I love my mother dearly. Sorry, I have to say this story, mom, but the day I graduated high school is the day my mom had to announce the separation from my father. I Still to this day, I, she never gave me an answer that was good enough. I don't know why she had to steal my thunder that day. And, and, and I got in a car accident that day as well. Um, that day changed my life because when I went to school at Morso, when I came back, I pretty much had no place to stay. My my mom and my dad had, had a rough divorce at first um, because of pride and ego and nonsense. Um, not for anything either one of them did to each other in a very horrible way. There was no cheating or anything. There was just too much emotion involved. So when I came back from Morrisville, I was lucky to have Bob High as a friend because I many times come back from college. If he didn't have an extra bedroom at his apartment, I don't know where I would have stayed. Um, I don't know if you remember that or not, Bob, but I, I, my dad was in an apartment with his girlfriend and my brother. And my mom moved in with her, with Kevin Heath, who she, she eventually married, who I was so glad she moved in with. It was the best thing that happened to her, um, to have that happen so quickly after my father. And he was such, he is such a great man, uh, still in my life to this day and will always be. So my mom moved into a small house where it was my sister and my stepbrother. It was the four of them. There was no room for me. Um, so I had no place to come back to. So I was on my own working multiple jobs, uh, every penny that came in, I had to support myself. I had to make sure I had place just to lay my head when I came into town, coming back from college. Uh, and that was it. That is kind of my story is my childhood. All right. Well, yeah, but there was still more to it. There, there was, there's also getting back to the whole mountains thing. You, we, we found, I say, I found my God out there. I mean, it's beautiful nature. It's unbelievable to me. The, the outdoor world has been good to me. I remember going to the Adirondacks all the time. I would camp constantly. Is From the moment I could drive, I would drive out to the Adirondacks. I remember one time you and I were watching TV, and we saw a special on Yellowstone National Park. And I'm like, holy shit, we should go there sometime. We should go to Yellowstone. And the concept of leaving Rochester or leaving New York was foreign to me. And I'm like can I really leave my roots and travel out there? And we did it. We packed up my blazer and we drove cross country and we did not stop. We stopped every once in a while for a little rest here and there. Let's give some context on the story. Cause I would love to talk about this trip because in one, in my intro, I just put up for the podcast. Um, I say, get out and explore this country. Bob, Bob's definitely Bob and my mother definitely, um, put that in me that I want to see as much as I can. So the trip Bob and I are talking about is 
90, he was older than me. 94. 94. So it was my last, it was the summer before my last semester at Oswego. I had to have go, go to Oswego for an extra semester because they didn't transfer all my credits over for Morrisville. Because Morrisville was such a concentrated journalism study, I didn't, some of those classes wouldn't take, be taken over by other four-year schools. But I'm going to tell you right now, the journalism school at Morrisville is what at the time was one of the best two-year schools for journalism in the country. The, they gave us such a deep-rooted foundation. Like I, I believe right now I call myself uh, a root cause. I'm very good at root cause analysis. And I believe it's from that two years with Neil Banlow when he talked about disclaimers and words and truth and what comes out of your mouth has to be absolutely validated at all times. And that's one of the things, the message I'm putting through this podcast is, and I got from Morrisville and that study was words are important. They need to be real. They need to be followed up on who, what, where, when, how that was all, all Neil Banlow. So I took that and just ran with it. I don't remember where we're going. <laughs> Tangent boy. That's what you're going to be. New, your new nickname is Tangent boy. Anyways, we're, we're heading out to Yellowstone. So, 94, 95. Oh, yeah. I was trying to explain why he's had an extra semester at school. It's crazy. <laughs> Such an idiot. Sorry, buddy. You're going to hear all my stories. So, we planned a trip. My ex-wife uh, was my girlfriend at the time, Jen. She was pregnant. And she's still... <laughs> she was pregnant. She's still pregnant? <laughs> no, she was pregnant with my daughter, Jordan, who was born um, January 13th, 1995. So I was allowed to, this is how awesome my ex-wife was and why uh, it, it's sad that we couldn't keep the marriage going because we're still very good friends because she let me go on a two and a half week trip with Bob the summer before my last semester and she's pregnant with our child. I mean, how many women would have done that back then? They would be like, no, you're working your tail off. Like, I'm not making any money in that two and a half weeks and we're about to have a baby the minute I graduate college. She was so not worried about me taking care of us um, that she let us go on this trip. I mean, this, that's a big deal. So this trip was as much a big deal for me as driving across the country with Bob, with our cameras, and what, like 12 or 14 rolls of film I think I had. Um, I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture and you're right. The blazer was called, what was the blazer's name? Wait, Havoc. Havoc. Gosh, I'm so mad. <laughs> I have my album of Yellowstone. So go now tell, keep telling about the trip. Now for me, heading out of Rochester, heading out of New York was an exploration. I have never set my sights so far and I've discovered that there's a world out there and it's an amazing world. And when we, when we touched into Yellowstone, I, all I'm thinking about is landing in Oz. Everything became technicolor. Everything became beautiful. Everything, all the senses came alive. The smells, the, the animals all over the place, the, the diversity of the land. It was beautiful and it was nonstop beautiful. It was just this amazing place that opened my mind saying, this is what I want to do all the time. I want to get out there and travel. I want to see the world more than just the surroundings of my environment that I grew up in. And I, I was very, very lucky to have Brian with me because he loved all that stuff too. He, he loved getting on those trails and, and we, we tore that place up. We saw so much in that small amount of time. Man, Bob and I, there's very few people in my life I've been able to take trips with. Bob, Bob and I, we take trips together well. Like, guys, 
Let's just tell him some of the nutty little adventures we had. So before we even got to Yellowstone, he's talking about Yellowstone, right, guys? He is skipping over the Badlands. He's skipping past Mount Rushmore. He's skipping past the Black Hills that we got introduced to in <laughs> South Dakota. He's skipping past Cody. He's skipping past Wyoming. He's skipping past, like, he's just talking about, like, five days of our trip by referencing Yellowstone. We saw so much cool, like, we had, we, we had this, First time I've almost been hit by lightning was with Bob Bye. <laughs> that was driving across I ninety from just leaving Devil's Tower. It was well, at night. Yeah, it definitely after sunset. At night. And it, I remember all the gear was in the back. The, the back seat was down, and I would just lay down, and we were watching the lightning as we were driving, and it, it was just this ending shower, non-ending shower of lightning flashing all over us. And I didn't pull over, or neither one of us pulled over. We just kept driving into the storm, and it was, well, it was... I mean, we were basically, he's kind of describing, we were coming up on the back end of the storm, so we're seeing the lightning from behind, and then we're going, then we started going through it to the point where we had to stop at one point. I mean, we had to stop, we couldn't see, that's when we almost got hit by the lightning. Oh, yeah. So, so at one point, we could not drive because you couldn't see, and there was nobody else on the road. I mean, Devil's to- after Devil's Tower, it is a big gap of nothingness, and that was a night we were driving through the night, because I don't believe we slept again until we got to Yellowstone after Devil's Tower. No, no, we stopped at the National Forest just outside in Cody, I believe we, we stayed someplace. Black Hills? No, after between the Black Hills oh, and Cody, Yellowstone, Cody, yeah, yeah, yeah. we stayed. There was a night there. That night, I don't quite remember in my head. But anyways, uh, uh, sorry, folks, we're digressing. Oh, this. We, we stopped in the middle of nowhere up on the mountains. That's right. Yes, it was freezing outside. That's right. Just before we got over to get into the uh, oh, Black Hills. All right. So, anyways, so folks, we're from Devil's Tower. It's really desolate. So now we're going in this storm. The rain is pelting down to the point we have to pull over. There's no so as we pull over. At night? I was in the passenger seat. I remember this distinctly, so I'll tell the story. It was at night. I was in the passenger seat. Probably, I would say six inches out of my window, maybe 12 inches. There was a bolt that looked as wide as my, uh, probably leg, um, or bigger. And all I saw was out of the corner of my eye. And Bob was looking at me, talking to me at the time. And that's why I'm surprised you don't remember this, because that bolt hit to the point where we both were like, if we weren't in this car right now, it hit the ground. Yeah, it hit the ground right next to our car. And it was silence. Like, and then all of a sudden, it was the loudest crack I've ever heard of thunder in my life. Right. It was like, it was on our truck. Like I shook from the thunder crack and I didn't move. I felt like seriously, that electric was in me for that second. Like that was one of the most intense experiences I ever had. That's the closest of a large lightning strike was right next to my shoulder. I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Didn't we also see a lightning bolt hit just before we got into the entrance? It hit a stone or a rock going into Yellowstone on the east entrance. Yes, that's that's the next day. I was going to say that. Yeah, that was a day and a half later. Yep. Yeah. So if I recommend to people... Um, if you don't like a ton of driving, but you want to see a lot of sites consolidated, find the closest place before the Badlands, maybe Chicago or a little after that, maybe Wisconsin, you know, maybe Nebraska someplace. Fly in, get a rental, get some kind of good rental vehicle. You can pack gear, have some gear and take that from there and do a whole tour out west from there. And you just will never stop seeing really cool shit. The land changes. The land changes constantly. So Yellowstone. Uh, so this is how Bob and I would do our trips. There was no plans, no set plans. It was in that moment, what did we want to do? 
Uh, what time is it? What time do we have left? Like, I remember we hiked around a lake with a dam in Black Hills. Uh, we went to Rushmore. We were at Rushmore for seriously, guys. That Ten was, minutes. That was a picture camp, and run. campground that I had no idea about. It was in the middle of nowhere. Pine forest. Smelled yeah. wonderful. And I think the name of the campground had something to do with pine. And I'm like, yeah, this looks like a place to camp. It was almost desolate. Nobody was there. Yeah. Except pine needles, straw, yeah. pine straw needles and, and everywhere. The, the dam looked like it had been, well, kept up, but almost forgotten. Like it's always been part of the, the environment. And you just see all these the quartz all over the ground and the, the pine and the blue skies with a whiskey white, wispy white clouds. It, it was, it was quiet there. And that's, I really enjoyed the silence. You know, it, you hear so much in your head and when you get out there and you hear the silence, it gives you a moment to get back to who you are, back to the calmness in your mind. And of course, you know, Ted was there too. Yeah, well, Ted was there every day, folks. That was always part of this trip. Ted was not there. There wasn't a day he wasn't there. And I believe on that trip we did shrooms one day. I'm just trying to figure out where we did the shrooms because being, and this is one thing I want to warn people, travel is great, but you really have to do a lot of research beforehand. Bob and I researched our trip, this two and a half week trip. Like we sat down and did a lot of research together. I did some of myself. He did some himself, brought stuff together to figure out where maybe what spots we did want to at least try to get to. Um, but not definitively like we like Old Faithful. Obviously, we had to go see Old Faithful the first right. time we were there. So like little things like that, guys, we built in. But like, but then there was this other thing where uh, we're in the north end of Yellowstone one day, and we didn't have a set plan. We're driving, and we're between Mammoth and Tower, right up up the is Mammoth and Tower. That's the two like northern, northwest, northeast up there, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. In between, there's a river with like a, a waterfall. So. It's just a pull off. You pull up. Most people pull off, take a picture of the waterfall and get back in. Well, Bob and I look down and go, look at that ravine that's filled with all sorts of fucking vegetation It's thick and it's really underbrush. But it looks like if we go down and back up, but we can get up there almost to the point where we can get right next to that waterfall. Yeah, that sounds like a great freaking idea. Let's go do that. An hour and a half later, we traipsed down. I know I was scarred up pretty good from that hike, but well, it was off trail. It was way off trail. Yes. We're talking about we basically bushwhacked and now we're out west. There could be anything out here. And this is what I want to remind people. When you travel in different areas, learn about the animals and vegetation, what could hurt you. Because, crap, anything could have been in there. That could have, like, we could have got a scorpion, but we, could have, but we don't care about that. But we got up right to the waterfall. I have a picture next to that waterfall. I'm sure not many people have a picture from the angle we have it at. Oh, no. And if we could have just boosted ourselves up like five feet, we could have boosted ourselves up to a trail, popped over and been back to our car in like two seconds, but we couldn't get ourselves boosted up. We had to backtrack all the way back out again the other way. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Cooling off in the river, just splashing water on my face. Oh my God. The fire, the fire, what is it? The Firehole River, right? Firehole River. That's a little, that, no, that wasn't the same place. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, that was, you're talking about that river. Yeah. Yeah. We went swimming in the Firehole River. No, that's what I want to tell the other story. The runoff. <laughs> we, so Bob and I were, so the nor, Northwest corner, we wanted to go, we stayed up at Indian Creek campground. Yep. And it's, um, it's a rustic campground. Doesn't have showers. Doesn't have flush toilets. It's got running water, but that's about it. It's one of the most Favorite places for me to camp because it is so rustic, but it's got so much to offer, like every every other place in Yellowstone. And because it didn't have a place to shower, our shower was Indian Creek, 
and that was a direct runoff of the lake Gosh. or of the the mountains. The mountains. So the water was like cold 50 degrees like cold. 55 degrees like I, I found two rocks where i could do a push-up so what i did was <laughs> i had my feet out of the water i'd do a push-up to get my body into the water a push-up back out and then i would i would go like we didn't want to use a lot of soap we were trying to be very conscious so so we tried to be pretty good about that but then i would do the, my quick rinse and i'll tell you what folks that was so we got tired of that quickly tired of that it was, it was hard to get past your thighs and going further in to the water because you didn't want to get anything delicate too Mm-mm. cold <laughs> away. Oh, so, and of course we were cheapskates because I got a kid on the way. Bob works at friendlies. He's on his own now in his early twenties. And so we don't have a ton of money. We're trying to avoid spending money at all costs every day, folks. We are minute, like gas and food. We're trying not to spend anything more than on gas and food every single day. <coughs> So the last thing we want to do is pay for shower day. So we decide, hmm, Yellowstone's full of all these natural geysers and hot, hot springs and stuff. There's got to be some place with warmer water. What do we do, Bob? We drove south to Firehole Drive. How, how many miles south is that? And what time in the morning are we talking about right now? This is like way early in the morning. <laughs> Four in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. Because if we got caught, they would have like slapped our hand. Yeah, it would definitely be a hand slap, but yes, we shouldn't have done what we did, but go ahead. So we're, <laughs> we're driving on Firehole Drive and I will never forget that spot because you, you pull off on the side of the road and there are geysers just going off all over the place. Warm water coming from the earth and I'm like, I'm going into one of those streams. <laughs> I need to go in one of those streams. So the Firehole Drive... Um, has like four or five geysers on it, but then there's kind of natural runoff from those geysers that kind of flows north, north, pretty much north from where they are. I think, isn't that where cone geysers in there? I forget which ones there are, but there are a couple in there. It's a, And there's a, a, a road they can drive through. It's so a one-way park road. Police, yeah. yeah, it's a one-way road. Park police can go there through any time. And any they Any visitors, yep. And the, but this is like, like I said, this is now four in the morning or something, very critically early. And and what do we do? We <laughs> We get my bathing suit on. I'm heading into that water, and it wasn't that deep, but I submerged myself as much. So as the I was. runoff was like six to seven inches deep, I would say, maybe maybe eight inches deep, and it was just like um, soft grass that we would lay on. Yeah. We just kind of laid on a soft grass that had warm water flowing over it, and we just let it flow over our bodies. For and it felt therapeutic. Oh. I did not want to leave that. It was warm. It, it was, was so probably. Warm. I would say 90s because it was steam coming off of it. It was great. I actually have a picture from that trip where you can see my legs where I'm laying in the water and I take the picture with my yeah. camera and you can see my legs and the steam and the guys are in the foreground. I think I'm going to try and get that one scanned in. I want to ask you too, did you scan in all the stuff from that trip? Is that scanned digital yet? I started, but I did not like my scanner. It, I wish you would scan that trip and we could put it on the website so people can. I have I some, think, I have some from that. Yeah. Oh, cool. I would love for you to um, send it to me and we'll put it on the website so people can relate Sometimes when they see the pictures after hearing the story or they then they can go and listen to it together, I think it would really help because we really saw some beautiful stuff. And the thing about Yellowstone is Bob's been there, what, 12 times now? At least 12 times. So it changes. Like Mammoth Hot Spring is way different now than what we saw it that first time. It's, right. It's it, almost dead now. Like Because the, the water seeps up from the ground and the calcium that that comes along, the it clogs up the pores in which the water was once coming out of. So it needs to find another location to come out. 
and that creates a whole nother terrace. And they have to rearrange or change the, the walkways. I've seen the walkway change at least three or four times over the years since I've gone there. So as far as traveling and knowing where you're at, I'm going to tell a story. I went to Yellowstone in 2015 with my son. Uh, we went out to Big Sky to ski, and it was the worst winter ever in Yellowstone history. So we actually, in February, were on wheeled vehicles going into Old Faithful from the west entrance. First time ever giving tours in the winter there. So we were there at a very rare time. So we saw a lot of interesting things, and I definitely, they mentioned that. But how about this story when I was there? This is what we heard. Brother and sister are in looking at geysers. So the brother wants to get it nice and close to one of the, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't a geyser, it was a, a hot spring or a pool, you know, one of those pools. So he's sitting next to it, loses his balance, falls in as his you know, sister's taking the picture. Um, so his sister had to watch her brother melt away slowly in front of her face before she could even think of going to get help. So I'm gonna tell somebody right now about traveling in Yellowstone. Please take it seriously. People have thrown like refrigerators into geysers in Yellowstone. People have thrown kitchen sinks. Like people are idiots. Like please don't ever go to Yellowstone and be an idiot. Like it is the most. That is a. It is a super volcano in our country. Let's it's not mess a, with the super volcano. Definitely. Yeah. Can, can we not mess with the caldera by being idiots and let's respect it and go there. It is such a therapeutic place to go. I mean, even that smell of sour eggs. <laughs> It's I look tolerable. forward to that. I look forward to that sulfur smell. So that was the first trip that got Bob and I's exploration heightened. Um, There's always the Adirondacks. We we would go right. to the Adirondacks every fall. They AAR AAR yep annual Adirondack run. So just try, tell people what that meant for us. Columbus Day weekend usually. Yep. It was it was a leafing experience. Okay, no, it wasn't. It was a pot experience. It was, it, well, no, that's leaf. So we would we'd go up. So it'd usually be uh, Bob, myself, and special uh, guest stars. We did yeah, varied every year. How many years in a row did we go? Though probably seven, eight at I, least. I believe. I know you went more than I did because then I had once I had my daughter. To be honest, um, I had my daughter in '95. I got married in 99. Bob was my best man at my wedding in 99. And then my son was born in 99. So when I had two kids, 99 on, from 99 until, you know, 2015 or so, I was, you know, in the heat of everything. That's where Bob and I haven't been as close because just life patterns are different sometimes right. with people. But the best part of this, and this is what I want to bring up souls and network and everything. As soon as Bob and I reconnected, it was just like, like right now, this conversation, I feel like it's still the day I left them. Like the last time we had a good conversation. It's yeah, like I haven't done right anything up. since. I just was waiting at Yellowstone to pick up from this moment. Yeah, so he'd just go back to Yellowstone and back every other year, just wait no, every, three years, every three years. Every three years. Oh, I, so that was a routine every three years? That's I, cool. Yeah, yeah, every three years I would go back to Yellowstone. What's your What's your favorite place in Yellowstone? Favorite spot? Favorite spot. It would have to be uh, Indian Creek because <laughs> there was this one time, once again, the same tri trip that you and I went on. We hiked the back trail heading towards one of the mountains in the back of the... And we chose the Northwest because that's where the wolves were released uh, in 91, and we were really hoping to catch sight of wolves. Um, but go ahead, sorry to interrupt. So we're, we're hiking in this back trail. Nobody's around. The, it wasn't one of the most popular trails. It's not even probably a regular trail that people go on, but we're back there. And on our way back, I choose one direction of the path. And Brian chooses the other. I think I'm following the creek 
Did you cut through the woods? I cut through, the, I cut through yes. I cut, one of us took the trail and one of us took a cut through. So I think I'm, I stay on the trail and I think you took the cut through. So I'm on my way back and all of a sudden a coyote starts chasing an elk. It scared the living daylights out of me because this elk went right past me. And my energy is just so surged right now because this huge creature just bolts past me getting chased by a coyote, which is not, I don't think it's common for, for a coyote to do that. But when I got back to camp, I'm like, did you see that? Did you see that elk? It was like right there in front of us. I don't think you saw the elk. I didn't. I didn't see the elk. And I heard what I thought was a coyote and it was him, Bob making the noise. <laughs> um, but I didn't see the incident and I was probably a couple hundred yards away at the moment. Yeah. All right, so getting back to so your... I, but I do want to touch on this. So uh, I I ran a couple mornings there when we were in the creek in the morning. I would get up and run. And one of the mornings, there was a herd of elk that had migrated into our campsite. So I'm, I'm running kind of with my head down because I'm watching my feet on the trail because I don't know the area. All of a sudden, I look up and I'm in the middle and all I hear is... They're all freaking snuffing at me. There's like 10 of them. And I'm getting a couple of the big guys like, what are you doing, dude? And I'm in the middle of them now. I'm like, oh, do I back up? Do I go forward? They see I'm on the trail. They're just eating, but they're not, they don't quite know what I'm doing. I'm, elk are huge. It's not deer, folks. Elk are big freaking, they're bigger. Would you say like at least? Like they could push me over, I believe. Three times bigger than a deer? Oh, yeah, at least. Yes, out there. Yes, hardy, hardy, hardy. To the point where you almost think from a distance, you wonder if it's a moose or an elk sometimes if it's a larger elk um and a smaller moose but anyways so i was in the middle of them i back out there was a herd of coyotes so they were hanging out around those elk on the other side of the creek from us so we actually had to be cognizant of as well there was like three or four remember that pack we saw so yeah they were definitely hovering around those elk and those elk were hiding by our campground basically from the coyotes um so that was our experience there but let's get back to a little bit of the philosophy and why we're doing this podcast and and one of the things that I want to make sure this podcast continues to be um, people understanding my passions and why I'm doing this and why I brought Rob and why Jay's involved. And we want to make sure this podcast is, is helping, teaching, learning, but we want to learn ourselves um, through our interviews with our guests. We want to bring people on from different walks of life um, with the general theme of exercise and healthy living and cannabis. And that's definitely what my family taught me growing up, though I got to say my family did have some really dumb things that we had to do growing up that drove me nuts. Like waiting an hour after eating to swimming. Oh, Old school. That. Yeah, like that was the mentality of my of my family, folks. Like the ants were awesome, but they were like, you were under their thumb, man. They, I was raised by a lot of women. All the men, we all had fun on the side, but it was the women, the Smith sisters, like always like to refer to. They ran it, baby. They ran it. They were controlling. So, Bob, I'm gonna, I want to explain more about my family, and you have a good perspective of how you, how do you, how did you see my family and and my uncles and and grandparents? Like, just give me some perspectives from you, you know, because not many people can do this. Well, uh, when it comes to the kids, you, Kimmy, and Chris. Those are my, that's my brother and sister. Sorry. So my, I am Brian. Uh, I am 46 years old and I love to dance my face off. 
My brother is Christian, Gordon Lane. Gordon, it was my grandfather's name. He was two years younger than me. Uh, he works at RIT, has a daughter, and he is awesome. Hunter gather, hunter and fisherman, phenomenal outdoorsman. And my, my sister is Kimberly. She works for a company that travels around the country, and she's a mentor and teacher. She teaches people how to use the uh, lunch system in school districts. And she also helps the sales force at that company and is known as one of the best people in that company as far as the knowledge base. So that is my brother and sister. They're awesome. I love them. And then my stepbrother is Kevin Heath, who is Kevin's son. So sorry. I just want to put context for you, brother. So my family. So back then when when I would go to your house, I would see Brian as the spaz. He's the energetic one. But he was was my hiking partner, my traveling partner, my smoking partner, all that kinds of stuff. Chris, I saw, I loved Chris. He was the lost lamb, though. It, he, he was a good kid. Well, because with the, his dyslexia, and uh, it became tough for him learning and everything. So then it was a struggle with, so, <coughs> excuse me, socially, he was always good. Um, but it was always, always a struggle with school, for school always weighed on him. Uh, and then he was unhealthy eating habits on top of it. So my brother, and, and I, he'd come out here and talk about it very openly. I'll be open about it. I'm very proud of him. Uh, he was overweight in high school. Um, and, and he liked to cook. He was a very good cook. So he, his routine would be, he was also a very good football player. Um, but he, he, he'd even admit it himself. He wishes he had shed. So after he graduated high school, um, he went to MCC for a little bit, realized with his dyslexia, it just wasn't right for him. So he went through the Disney program and went down to Florida for a bunch of years and worked down there, Disney and golf courses and stuff and lived down there um, and lost a bunch of weight. So he got himself from being probably 60, 70 pounds of weight when you hung out him when he went down to Florida, lost all that weight and was like, could have been a linebacker, a solid build linebacker. And does he have a school. daughter now? Yeah, and Riley's his daughter. She's awesome. So yeah, my brother definitely went through some trying to figure himself out like all of us do. I, I was an asshole in my 20s. My mom wanted me to kiss me, kick me out of her house many times as I stood on my soapbox going, Mom, the things you think are so wrong. Like, Ma, I could show you research and I'd bring, I'd bring research to her and she'd basically say, shut up, Ryan. Like, when I was born, I broke her tailbone. So my mom used to love to say, Brian, you've been a pain in the ass since you were born. <laughs> so that's a true story. When I was born, March 24th, 1972, my mom lived on Rexford. Uh, I'm sorry. My grandmother lives on Rexford Street. My mom lived on McGee Avenue. This is how my mom was. You want to know where my crazy comes from? My mom, the day before I was born, everybody was pissed at her, her mom, her sisters, because they didn't know where she was because she didn't answer her phone. My dad was at work. So my mom and her sisters and her mother, they talked all day long on the freaking phone. It was ridiculous. That's how it was back then. And they were pissed because my mom for three hours did not answer. She went for a long walk in March 1972 by herself, McGee Avenue, Aquinas High School, big fat loop to get my butt out of her. (laughs) So I was already revved up because she took this walk the day before, and now here I am, spasmo boy, getting pushed out of her. So I'm flailing all over the place. Apparently I grabbed at her tailbone or that region. I ended up breaking her tailbone so she couldn't sit for a couple weeks after i was born so then when she was in hospice i don't know if you ever heard the story but when she was in hospice her last words to anybody were to me i'm sitting there and uh at the last point when you have cancer and it's very ugly at the end everybody's been through it i don't want to even i'm not gonna retell everybody who's been around it knows what it looks like at the end when you're in hospice so my mom had a catheter in and she was in and out of um the, the meds were taking over and I had, I'm sitting next to her and I'm reading and uh, she's watching her law and order and she goes, 
She goes, I got to get up. I got to go to the bathroom. I said, Ma, you don't. There's a catheter in you. You get, Mom, you're so lucky right now. I wish I could just sit here and read and just pee right now. She, and I go, I, gra- I put her, my hand on her hand and put her hand kind of back down to the bed. I said, Mom, you're all good. Just go out, let it, let it loose. It's all good, Mom. And she had catheters many times in her life. She had two major surgeries on her neck. She, had, she went through the Whipple procedure twice trying to cure the pancreatic cancer to try and last longer for us. She lasted three years uh, battle with pancreatic cancer. And the last words were, Brian, you're a pain in the ass. So I was a pain in the ass sometimes. She was born, I was born to the time she died. Uh, that's what my family jokes about. They still say to this day, Ryan, you were always your mom's pain in the ass. Um, so my favorite thing to do was we'd go on trips with my Aunt Janice, my cousin, uh, my Uncle Joe, my cousins Ryan, Mandy, and Heidi. And when Mandy was young, she still needed a high chair when we take trips. So my mom used to tell the story of why I was a pain in the ass because we'd go into a restaurant. We needed a table for 10. My mom would say, we need a table for 10 because my mom had to be the person that went to the restaurant first to tell everybody. And then I'd come right behind her and go, no, that's actually not right. We need nine in a high chair. My mom would hit me for being right. Didn't do any good. No, she seriously hit me in the restaurant for being right. Like, is that what general society's done to us all our whole lives? You get hit for being right? Like, seriously, I was right because I didn't want to see Mandy have to sit on Janice's lap because our family is so polite. And and if there wasn't a high chair or something around, my, my family, Mandy would just sit on Janice's lap and I'd have to watch it. No, Mandy's not comfortable. Janice isn't comfortable, but J- Mandy doesn't want to sit on chairs. There's no high chair. So I, so I turn to my mom and say, why does Mandy not get a high chair? She needs a high chair. My Aunt Janice says thank you to me and my mom hits me. <laughs> I'm getting back to your, what I, my perception in Kimmy, I always thought she was the more stable out of the three of you. Uh, does she have kids as well now? Her daughter, Isabel, goes to Niagara, uh, freshman year. Wow. She uh, just graduated high school. She's a awesome dancer. She was also a cheerleader in high school. Yeah, she's awesome. So we had Chris, who I thought was a lost sheep, not completely out there but then we had jeff and jerry jeff and jerry are my mother's uh brothers they are fifth and sixth in line of the seven children of gordon and francis smith twins and they were mentors 12 years older than me we heard so many stories about these two it it almost seemed like it should have been a reality show the the lives of these two people um, your father, I know, uh, he was just an all American dad. You know, I didn't see anything really out of character about your family. You had a very, I don't want to say normal because normal is so blase, but it was an ideal family at, at that time. Uh, I remember your grandparents, I remember us riding our bikes from from Greece down Empire, which is a huge downhill and uphill, to see your grandmother in Webster. Uh, Yes, that's what Bob and I would do. We would get high on cannabis. We'd ride our bikes from, uh, was that Knickerbocker then? No, we rode from your house. Oh, my house. So my house in Greece, which is up by... It was up Dewey Latta area. So let's say uh, if anybody knows Rochester, Greece, Dewey Latta area, near, near Charlotte. And then we would bike all the way up the river across behind the bay down Empire. 
And then up Empire, my grandmother lived on the lives still does like corner Clement Gravel. She's awesome. Her and my uncles. She still lives there. Yeah, my uncles take care of her. Yeah, That's it's the awesome. best. Yep, they absolutely. So it makes it great. Our whole family. So my uncles Jeff and Jerry that he referenced, they now uh, are in their fifties and they take care of my grandmother. So she doesn't have to go to a home. Uh, she deals with arthritis, but she still um, is mobile, but she does not want to leave the house for anything. And, and we are so happy as a family that the two of them take care of her. It makes it so we don't have to stress out. Um, and it's a perfect situation. She gets to be in the house that she moved into when I was five years old. So she's been in this house for 41 years. And, awesome. I, and I didn't know your aunts that well, but I, I saw them every once in a while. Did they also live in Webster? Did, do you have an aunt uncle that lived out in Webster? Uh, yep, Jennifer and Mark did. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think they're still out there. Yeah, yeah. That's the two of the people of our family that we really talk to a lot, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but it happens. No, no, that's right. Did, were you around when my grandfather had any of his toys? Like, did you see him either of his snowmobiles or did you see his dune buggy head with the Smith Flower Shop logo on the side? I don't recall that. No. Oh, so my grandfather talked about his toys. I know I referenced earlier. So my grandfather, we all have toys because my grandfather had two snowmobiles out in Webster when. Webster was life was worth living and you could actually be on a trail from his house. We could go to Sodus and back in a day. We could go south to Henrietta around the outside loop. Like that was when life was great when you could just jump on snowmobiles be gone all day long, go different places because there wasn't all the tracks and build up that there is now is out there. It was just farmers fields. So we had that and then he also built a couple of Bugattis from scratch from kits. Before I was born, I, I vaguely remember an orange Bugatti that they built that I rode in maybe when I was three, four years old before I moved to Webster. What's a Bugatti? Uh, Bugatti is, uh, it's like a race car. It's that, like, you remember that old style longer race cars like back in the 40s and 50s that had the just the wheels like on the outside, almost looked like the initial style Indy cars, but they were cars on the road. Those are Bugattis. Okay. Um, very interesting, unique vehicles to have around. So that's my why my grandfather did. And of course, it was orange because he had to stick out because he was that guy that wanted everybody to see him. And you know, and, and he was that guy that was generous too. He took care of a lot of people out of that flower shop. That neighborhood loved my grandfather. He was that everybody knew. He was that energetic, crazy. He might yell at you one day, and the next day he's going to give you a big hug. Like that was my grandfather in a nutshell. Um, he loved. He loved, and but he held people accountable. Man. That's where I get my accountability from is him and my mom. Those are the two people that don't tolerate. They're all about accountability. That's definitely, I would say, one of my vices is I have to be careful of because I really think accountability in people is, is a thing that's lacking in society right now. And, and if we had it, maybe we'd all be a little bit better. If everybody in every moment of every word they say knew they were going to have to be accountable for that. For their own actions? Yes, then I think our society would be a better place because I think that's, that's what, anyways, I get that intenseness definitely from my mother and my grandfather, without a doubt. And I do not regret having it because I think it's made me a better person, more disciplined, number one. But I also think that even though sometimes insecure people around me have issues and I don't know why it's not like I'm, I, I try not to be judgmental. I'm sure sometimes the way I come across can be, but I really don't mean to be because I believe souls are on this planet for different reasons. So I try not to judge someone for what their path is on because it could be because they're helping five other people stay on their path. Like I'm a true believer that my uncle Jerry's souls, Jeff and Jerry souls are on this planet. Um, they never really made a lot of money. They've enjoyed themselves. Um, you know, in the ways that they've wanted to, but they've also been there to support my grandmother her whole life, especially after my grandfather died. And I believe that them being alcoholics, um, they keep the rest of the family from not being that. Are they sober now? 
they're basically sober, yeah. So the, it's they're basically binge alcoholics. So the, when I say alcoholics, my uncles won't drink for a month, a drop. When they're home, it's not like they bring drink beers. They don't drink at all. But then when they go out, it's unplug and go. Do they so still it's done. Still smoke? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannabis and uh, like I, you know, obviously in the show, I'm con- that's what I believe is their their healing tool, the cannabis for both of them. You know, it's perfect. It keeps them level and. Um, you know, they're, they're hard ass workers. They are good men who care and love and will do anything for you. Hard ass workers. Uh, but when it comes to them personally, they, they like to indulge in what they like to indulge in. That's, and that's who they are. And that's great. They don't hurt anybody ever. They are freaking good men. So, uh, anybody who's they've ever worked for loves them and would have them back tomorrow. Um, which is all I care about. So I believe their souls are on this planet to help people. Um, and, and, and so be it. As long as they're doing that, then who cares what they do themselves? I'm not going to judge them for that. So that's definitely, I don't, so anything I ever say, I'm not judging people. I just really feel like I don't want to be around people that are making unhealthy choices that make me feel uncomfortable because in my mind, I'm thinking about, I want them to be better people and I want them to be healthier. And I believe that their daily basis would be healthier if they're like that. That's very admirable, but you can't, you can't help everybody. No, I don't know, but, but I have to remove myself because I can't look at unhealthy behavior and be around it. Right. Is that fair? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, this is what I'm asking advice from. I don't know if that's fair or not, but because I'm holding pretty solid on that right now in my life. You're sticking to your beliefs. Big time. I don't want to enable. I've seen enabling be the worst thing for everybody in life. Everybody out there, think about the worst situation in your family. Now, there's things you can't control, people's personalities. So your, your mother, father, your genes, you can't control that stuff. You are who you are, but you can control how you view it and maybe how you move ahead. There's some things that are going to have, you're going to be because you have to be, it's just part of your genes. But you found a formula that's helping you in life, in so many different aspects of your life. And you want to share that. That's right. And that's, that's great. That's. And I'm honest to a fault. So I'm going to tell a story now that's an honest to a fault story. The reason why I've pretty much sworn off whiskey at this point um, I, I already pretty much never been a beer drink. I've said it many times, but whiskey, I'm definitely sworn off of now. Other than I do have a bottle of Jack honey in my freezer that probably will be at some point in the next three, four years gone. I'll, I'll have little sips out of it because I love the flavor of it. But someone, when I was in Vegas said something interesting, I said, yeah, the only whiskey I ever drink, if I drink any, I, like I said, I'm only trying to be down to pretty much one drink a night. That's, that's where I'm at right now. If I even have that. And it's, Right now, I'm, I'm liking vodka if I'm going to have a drink because I don't want to do whiskey. So the, the whiskey guy said to me, you're going to have Jack Honey. If you're going to have only one drink, why would you have Jack Honey? It's not even a good whiskey. And I, and I thought about that, and I said, you know, that guy's kind of right. Like, if I'm only going to indulge something, it should be something for the flavor, the taste. And then I'm thinking, okay, I don't really need the whiskey at all. I mean, why? why? There's no need for me to taste that whiskey or need that drink to say, oh, my day's better because I had that. I've never really gotten into alcohol, yeah. so I, I can't relate. So the thing that happened a couple months ago was I brokered uh, broker a deal, which probably could, could end up being the biggest deal I've ever helped put together in my life. <clears throat> so I was very excited about it. I went out and had some drinks with some of my favorite bartenders. I didn't realize that I had more alcohol in me than I had, and I ended up being a really big asshole to my daughter and my father. So my uh, To the point where I... I, I I just, the way I came across was too aggressive. Uh, the points I was making, you know, me and cousin have talked about it afterwards. Maybe they weren't horrible points, but I was being an asshole. Did 100%. that scare you? It, it scared me into the fact that I, my daughter was just leaving town and, and her and I have been always like best friends. And to know that I, 
um, harmed that relationship before she's leaving on a big change of her life. Um, it didn't scare me, but it said, okay, now it's time to say what was the root of what happened. Well, what, did, it, did it also kind of give you a little awareness? You have alcoholism in your family. You've said that. Yeah. Did you ever fear that you might be on that path? No, I just think it's, no, no, definitely not because okay. I've never, because that day, like prior to that day, the reason why it hit me so hard is I hadn't drank hardly at all. Like months prior to that, I was already had cut alcohol way down. So that was, that day was like four times the amount of alcohol I had consumed in any sitting in months. So, but my, my issues is not so much, I'm very well disciplined. So I'm not worried about becoming an alcoholic. That is not something, my body won't take it or reject it. Like I'm that visceral against it. But what... I don't like is how alcohol affects me when it's in me. It makes you mean? Question mark. No, not necessarily mean. It just uh, my tolerance for nonsense goes away. And so the 2012 study, University of Florida, alcohol and tobacco are the gateway drugs. It is the gateway drug to be for me. If I'm in a great mood, I'm going to continue to be a great mood. But if I see someone who's annoying me, or, or who's annoying, or being a douchebag or a jerk to somebody else. I'm now calling that person out like I'm not holding back. Like, you are a jerk. You shouldn't be acting like that to that person where I can find much better ways when I'm just out on cannabis of handling that situation where I can make them think I'm a jerk first and then maybe convince them they're being the jerk in a better way. I, on alcohol, I cannot get to that point. With cannabis, I'm always aware and, and I feel like I can handle it better. So that is the true story I'm telling everybody. My daughter and I, I believe, are good now. Um, uh, the things that have been going on since that moment, her and I are back to being good. I just saw her on this trip to Vegas. Uh, my dad and I have always been good after that uh, that happened. Him and I drove to California together to 2,800 miles um, or 4,800 miles. I forget what it is. How would it from here to Cali? But uh, we drove from Rochester, New York to 29 Palms Military Base to take my daughter's gear there this summer. And him and I had a very... Him and I are a very good place with each other right now as far as we had very good talks about our personalities, the good and bad of both of us, what triggers each of us, and we came to a very good understanding of how to continue our relationship forward where it's going to be healthy and, 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 and good. And it took a, a good trip. Not that my dad and I ever had a horrible relationship, but we just look at some things differently, and now we have a happy medium between where, where we things are. So my dad's that guy because he's away. I get on a lot of subjects where I do research and I talk about something, research it, talk to some people about it to figure out their views, to figure out maybe what my final analysis is on something. And then I move on. Well, my dad being always in North Carolina or South Carolina where he's lived for the last 20 years, hears that for me and thinks I'm harboring that or thinking about that till the next time I talk to him again. He doesn't realize in between those two conversations we have maybe two weeks, three weeks apart, I'm already gone through two different cycles of other things. That's what I've always done. I've always kind of brought things into my mind. Okay, how do I analysis? How do I use this on my past experiences as a journalist for 12 years, as a postal employee, as a father, as a business owner, rapid reconstruction back in the day, I actually had my own business when I first got out of school as well as a waiter at, at Applebee's and I was running my own business, getting contracts with the Rochester Housing Authority, making money. So I was scrambling from the time I graduated college. So all this together, I feel like with cannabis and water and the healthy lifestyle and now and the experiences I've gained, I feel like I can help with the two things I want to reduce is people doing enabling and people not holding themselves accountable. I think those are the two things I would like to really, if anything, stand that soapbox about everything else. I just want to be helpful. I can see that. Uh, in additional, additional to all that, you're also teaching that the cannabis is not something bad. It is actually good 
for those who could really utilize it. Like the things you've been saying of how it opened up your mind, how it op- how it calmed you down, how it centered you, how it brought you to a new direction almost. Because if you didn't have it, if you didn't pursue consuming it, smoking it, however you took it, you would be a completely different person now. You'd still be a spaz. I believe that. Uh, yeah, it would be worse. <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know because when I'm not... So I, for the record, everybody, I have never been high working for the United States Postal Service for one second on the clock, okay? So it is not like if I wasn't on cannabis, I was so crazy that I couldn't do my job. Like I was a 15-year supervisor, well-respected supervisor, manager with, with the Postal Service in three years of sales, and I'm very well-respected leaving, leaving there. I didn't burn any bridges. Um, I was considered a positive member of the team in Western New York and with headquarters. Um, so never was I high at work. So it's not like I needed it every second of every day. Um, I would just want to clarify that just, just so people understand. It's not like one of those things where I've been 24 seven with it. You know what I mean? Right. So cannabis for you, it's not a need. It's an enjoyment. It's a balancing. It's a, it's a tool for balancing. Yes. So how about this? This is my father, son, Holy spirit. You ready? Okay. The father is cannabis. The mother is water. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. It is our soul. It is what is in us. We have a soul. It is astrology. Astrology factors into it. Who the families were born into this experience. We were told that we've set for ourselves to come here. And then my church for all of that is fish shows and being in the outdoors in some capacity. Now for me, adding that adrenaline rush to that, or maybe a little bit of shrooms, which to me, I think shrooms almost gives me that adrenaline rush, like I'm on the mountain skiing or that. That's almost what shrooms is for me, if that makes sense for everybody else. Because when you're high impact or high doing exercise um, at high levels, you are getting, your senses become more aware. Like people in the zone, like Michael Jordan, those guys that do this, the Anything in any sport, when people are considered in the zone, a football player that just sees defenders coming from 10 yards away and knows a spin move that's going to work, and he's just getting it, just hitting it. Adrenaline and that, the, the endor, the, everything running through your body, I think all that works together, and I've learned to channel it. And my church then is anywhere I'm outside smelling fresh air, and that it, even whether it's adrenaline or cannabis with it, that's the church, baby. Fish, fish you look at, how about this? How, how about that's the best mass ever? Everybody gets together. As they're coming together in line, they're all talking, hugging, learning from where each other's are. Everybody knows each other's stories because nobody will sit silent next to someone else in line because that's not a fish show. Helping each other, offering each other water, setting each other up. Then you get inside and you're all kind of relaxing, just like church. And then, the, and then all of a sudden the pastor comes out, Trey, John, Paige, Mike. They all just sit there and start playing for an hour and a half for you and bam, all the energy's out. There's just all these people in a building focused on that, four people on that stage making those sounds, getting us all going. It's just like a tribe. Back in the day, an Indian tribe or a tribe in a foreign country where they get together and have those dance sessions at night and, and there's themes to them. You know, some are for an upcoming wedding, some is for harvest, and some is for just exercise in the summer, and some are for, you know, in the spring, maybe sexual dances where you're getting all the young, young people. No, this is not a tangent. This is my <laughs> philosophy. This is my church I'm talking about, brother. No tangent here. So what, what I'm saying is fish in that environment, it, it, it's the church. Then you get a break and you get all get to hydrate and chat and 
high five and hug and say that was an awesome hour and a half and then bam another hour and a half then at the end you've sweat out all those toxins you've hugged you emotioned you're up and down with your soul you come out of there and everybody's just smiling and happy that is church baby what about you bob what's your church oh definitely the outdoors definitely my travels into the open skies the the open environment seeing the world as it should be without the influence of man that's my church the sooner i can get away from everybody the happier i am not that i don't like people it's i love the smell of the trees the the running of the water the 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 fresh air the the cold air the warm air the the mist in your face, the the hiking to a higher mountain and, and looking out and seeing a valley before you that stretches on for miles on end. And I, I love the colors of the fall, the the freshness of the spring and the, and the vigorance, the, the being alive of the summertime. That's that's what I, I enjoy. That's my church. Jay, where is your church, brother? I've definitely made my way uh, to the outdoors music used to be my you know my release but i think now that i do it as a full-time profession it's like getting out is what what gives me that uh release and lately last like four or five years i started disc golfing and that really has become like my my savior i get out there and i can think clearly about about the music you listen to music when you play disc golf no not really i kind of come down on the people out on the course that are like blasting music on their shitty phone speakers. <laughs> so you like the silence of being in the woods. Yeah. Though, yeah I like, the, like the clinking of the frisbee on the metal. On the chains. Yep. So can, for those of you who don't know, um, disc golf, can you explain a little bit for people who, who, cause this to me, it's a low impact sport that is good. Cause cardio is built into it that I would love to see more people do. And there's yeah. a lot of good courses here in Rochester. People don't realize a it's a them. great, like Rochester has one a champ one of the best championship courses for disc golf in the country here. Yep. In Chile. So tell do you mind talking about that a little no, bit for us? No, no. Thank you. Um yeah, I mean it's a growing growing sport. Um I wish I discovered it a long time ago because I I always like loved throwing frisbees, but obviously throwing a disc is a little bit um different than throwing a frisbee. So never call it frisbee golf, anybody out there. It's uh it's the wrong term. I call it frisbee golf, so I'm so <laughs> glad you just corrected yeah. me. And I have a bunch in my house because my brother loves to do it too. So please keep explaining it. Like, yeah. Tell us some of the courses around. Please keep going. Yeah, so the nice thing is that most of the courses around are free. Um, there's a couple that are paid, but you they usually come with like a golf cart, and it's no more than like 5 bucks to play, 10 bucks to play. Um, but yeah, the courses around here, we have a lot of um, variety. There's some courses that are like in the woods, some that have a mixture of in the woods and more like open. Uh, the course in Chile is beautiful. That's, you know, close to home. So that's kind of my home turf. And I go there and I usually have the run of the place. Usually there's there's no more than one or two cars. And um, if I'm feeling more up to it, I will sometimes like jog the course. So I'll just bring like a few discs with me and throw them and run after them and get a real workout. I love it. So can, where's the one in Chile located? Um, it's on Old Scottsville Chile Road. Um, it's called um, I can't think. It's of okay. Name. It's Chile Disc Golf Course, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, part yeah. of a, a town park. So how how long have you been playing disc disc golf? I think this is my fifth year. What brought you to it? Uh, my uh, close friend of mine was always into it, and I was always like, "Oh, I got to get out and go," and finally made it out. And then it was like it became like a a band thing. Everybody in my band at the time was like getting 
turned on to it and then we all just started going and now we're kind of scattered about but we'll i'll like drive to ithaca to go meet my buddy and play the courses out there and he'll come out here sometimes what courses have you played around here so i've played um with my son we played the english road park uh, but that is a, a wooded course. I guess it's one of the harder courses Basil, around here. Right? Basil, Basil Morella Park. Thank yep. you very much. Basil yep. Morella Park, uh, which is in the town of Greece. There's also a basketball courts there and skate park as well for kids. It's a very diverse park and it's got awesome hiking, and a little creek bed down there, as well as it attaches to the 390 bike path, which can take you all the way from Ridge Road. You can actually take the bike path all the way down to the parkway and then you can make it down to Charlotte Beach where there's another bike path. So Basil Morella Park. Um, that's the hardest that I know of. Tell me some of the other courses on Astro you've tried, because I'm interested in trying some different ones. Yeah, there's a Parma. Parma is a great course. Uh, pretty technical, but it has like a mix of wooded shots and some more open fairway shots. Um, uh, there's a new course that opened up at Riverton, uh, the, the ball golf course, and they put a, a disc golf course that's like right alongside the, the river, which is really cool, um, but also pretty challenging. That one costs money, but you get a golf cart, and it's it's fun. I mean, it's fun to be lazy sometimes. Oh, I wonder if I could play there for free because my best friend is a member at Riverton, so I could probably get us all on there. And he has his own golf cart, so we could probably get out there and play that anytime. So I'd like to actually nice. have us have a podcast day out there. There you go. No, I love it because I actually want to become better at disc golf because uh, I'm horrible at that first <laughs> long throw. I'm pretty good at the short stuff, but what's the key to throwing that disc is a lot like 300 yards, dude? Can you please tell me? Because I have no clue. Um, I mean, I'm. I don't have a great arm, but I'm usually, I'm throwing average like th maybe 320 to three, 350 feet. So it's not quite what's, I don't know what the conversion on that is. No, no. So, yards, so it's about a hundred yards. Yeah. So I apologize. Yards. So yeah, yeah, no. And that's normal for a driving distance. So what yeah, you say, say 320 like, feet, I should have said feet instead of yards. Yeah. Like 300 is, is a pretty long drive. And then you got the pros are throwing, you know, upwards of 450, 500 and it's ridiculous. But yeah, it's like, it's definitely a different mechanic than throwing a frisbee you gotta um, kind of be able to pull that disc across your chest um, almost like you're starting a lawnmower or something you know you're really trying to keep it close to your body and then you really need that snap of the wrist and that's my problem because i still try and flow it out like i would a bigger frisbee right. when i'm so trying yours to is, like, yours is probably always curving, frisbee. right yes correct ultimate yeah the disc makes a huge huge difference like it's they say um to start off it's not a bad idea to just get a bunch of putters and just throw throw the putter um, for all your shots, just throw the same disc over and over again to get that, that feel. Cause it takes a while. And then you pick up another disc and you're like, Oh, why is that one going way left or whatever? So yeah, it's all about the disc, finding the you. right disc. And, um, you know, if you're someone who can, if you have like a strong arm, you'll be able to throw disc faster so you can choose from different drivers for that. Where would you say if someone in Rochester wanted to go out and buy some discs, where could, where's the cheapest place to get them, and what course would you recommend they tried first? Mm. Um, there's a so Millennium Games has like a huge selection. They um, that's usually where I go. That's in Henrietta, um, but there are some. Uh, I think like Dan's Crafts and Things has has a selection of discs. Um, yeah, and I'm sure Dick's and most of the sporting goods stores get, have yeah, the some. You the know, starting but, kits for sure. And I'm sure you can get them online as well. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes online you don't get to like choose your colors and it can get a little weird, but So you said there's like driving discs and putting discs like there's, yeah, how, there's what do you what do you mean? What is that? So mean? there's there's putters, there's mid-ranges, um fairway drivers, same, you know, similar to ball golf. And um each one just has like a different 
um, stability to it. So the stability rating, if it's if it's really overstable, the disc wants to go left from if you're throwing right-handed, um, and an understable disc will want to go right. So they they can um, and then depending on how fast your arm is, they they all have different ratings for that. Oh, you're helping me a ton. Now I'm understanding <laughs> the, the metrics, because there are, there are like numbers on discs. Numbers and he's right. There's yep. a driver and a mid-range and a putter. And I'm left-handed, so I'd imagine then I'm, what I'm reading on packaging when I go to buy something, I should be thinking of it opposite? It depends. Like the each um, brand has like a different rating system. So you really just have to do your research and look at the whatever company disc you're looking at and see what they're... Um, what their numbers mean, and then usually you want to try to fly, find something at first that's just a, a pretty flat rating, like not not too overstable, not too understable. Um, okay. You want to get that disc. You want to figure out how to f- throw the disc straight, and that's like the hardest thing for everyone to figure out. Yeah, that's my weakness. Yeah. So, what course would you recommend for beginners? Um, okay, so there's like a new course. Well, it's a newer course in Henrietta, and. I got to look up the name. Wait, that's the old par three course, right? The old par three golf course out it's, there. It's a small course. Yep. Yeah. And yep. there's a dog park out there too, I think. Yeah. Right, right, so right along the thruway. Yep. Right next to uh, it. What did that used to be called? East Henrietta road. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get the name of it's it. It's a town park now, I believe. Right. I think so. Yeah. I believe it's a town park. I believe. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah. If we find, we'll find the name of it. We'll let everybody know, but yeah, that's a great open course. The only thing is there's a little water on that course. I think a little bit of water. Yep. That's the only thing. Be right? careful, but at least you're not like throwing any really long drives. No. And, and what it is, it's an old par three golf, nine hole golf course that you can see from the thruway in Henrietta off East Henrietta road. Um, so basically just go East Henrietta road South until you go onto the thruway and it's going to be on the left-hand side. Yep. It's uh, uh, it's, it's called look up park, look up park. Thank you. Yep. I was trying to figure out what, what the golf course used to be named, but I, I, it escapes me. I want to yeah. say Buttonwood, but it's not. Hmm. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so it's a nice little uh, open course. Like you said, there's not a lot of trees, a little bit of water, and yeah, that's a, that's a good offer. I appreciate yeah, that, Jay. great first uh, g- uh, good introductory course, or if like for just getting started for the season, it's almost nice to not have to go and blow out your arm. Yeah, and so I'm, I actually think I'd like to go out with you in the spring because obviously it's a little Definitely. bit late in the season now, but in the spring we'll, we'll all get out and we'd have to, we'll have a little... Uh, a championship, uh, maybe a little practice rounds first, then we'll lead up to maybe some kind of podcast tournament or something. I think that would be pretty cool. Oh, it's on. <laughs> I knew I'd pull his passion out of him. So all we had to do was ask about his church. That's and we my found church. About this, this golf, baby. That's it. I love it. I love it. So um, just I want to let everybody know an update on the format. So 10th episode, this is always going to be a little special. So this one was about trying to make it, people understand my perspective, where I come from, my family, why I am an incessant dancer, and I didn't even talk about, Bob, do you remember my mom's wedding? Like when she got remarried, do you remember the dance fest we had that night? Like, do you, do you remember any of like, you were at another family wedding, my too, as well. Mine. Is that the same wedding that you and your stepbrother were out there doing like the Macarena or yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That, I don't think the Macarena was there back then. Uh, I think it was another something. You were something. doing some kind of dance. The, just the two of you were out on the dance floor. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, there's no Or was doubt. that your wedding? Well, no, my, my wedding, I don't think... My wedding, I don't think I did anything individually. I, that was too much of a whirlwind day. Um, so, yeah, when I got married, it was in 99 in uh, Geneva at the Ramada Inn down there. And Bob was my best man. And we had like 200 people. And we just danced there. We had a great night. It was a dance our face. I was sicker night. than a dog. You were? Yeah, that's right. I, I had a horrible that. sore throat, coughing. Up, oh, it was just... It was great for you, but not yeah, so much. it was a good night. So, so, and last year, so you want to hear how crazy we are as dancers and families. And if anybody wants to go to my social media, Brian Lane, Relentless Forward Progress, if you type that in, it gets to my Facebook pretty quickly. If you dig back to videos from last year, you'll see the father daughter dance 
which pretty much will give you a good picture of why we're not just normal folk in my family. My daughter and I choreographed a dance where it started with The Way You Look Tonight by Adam Levine, switches over to a little... Uh, me doing a little Michael Jackson moonwalk with a little, I think it was Billie Jean. And then we switched over to hand jive and my daughter and I did a little meme to the hand jive from Greece with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. I don't know if you remember the hand jive where the Olivia Newton-John gets pulled off for the, for the other girl that goes on there and jumps in her place. So the girls of the wedding pull me off the floor and dance with Jordan. They do some hip hop you know, dance routine really quickly. And then I jump in and finish back with my daughter with the way you look tonight and a little send off to my mother as well. So that was the father daughter dance last year that my daughter and I did where the only time we practiced after we put the music together was at the wedding an hour before we went on down in the bathroom with the girls. <laughs> and I'm sure it went off it successfully. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I incessantly was studying on the side beforehand and doing my part. So, cause my daughter, I knew would get her part. It was about me. I was worried about, but I faked it well. So that is why dancing and music for all of you. I've had people tell me, Brian, you look like you're at a rave when you're out. Well, guess what? I'm on cannabis and I'm on water, and maybe I had one vodka drink or whiskey drink that night. Other than that, you're like looking at all that was in me when I'm sitting there dancing wherever I'm at. And I will go around not sure finding music because I love the beat, and I want to keep dancing. That's what I like to do. Watch basketball, play basketball, stay clean, and dance my face off. And you find that at the fish show. That's where we do it. Amen. Amen, brother. So, um, Format. There was a lot of versions in the first five, six episodes of how this was going to be. So what I determined was Mr. Gino DiPasquale, who is a very good friend of mine. He is my brother. He is my research and developer. He is a product maker, and he is a 100% cannabis expert, and I love him dearly. But we are going to have him on only occasionally when we need cannabis experts because we want to make sure that this podcast has no trolling stays positive and we want to make sure everything comes out is truthful and accurate. So I want to make sure the only way we can do that really is making sure that the guest talks the most and then we have the computers and we back up anything we're saying with research and studies. So that's why I want to make sure I had someone who's well, well versed at writing and research, which Bob is. So that's why we went a little different direction. Gino is going to be referenced often because I know not even close to enough about CBD and THC to help people. And he is the man that definitely does that with the VCCF, which is still going strong. They pulled out over a hundred pounds of seed this year, the VCCF farm under the guide and leadership of Gino and Jason Cliff. They did a phenomenal job out there this year. And next year we are looking to grow that. They are looking, I don't want to say we, because I'm only volunteering with that organization to help any chance I get, but they are going to be expanding next year. And I am looking forward to watching that progress and leaving Gino the time he needs to help develop that as well as a new company that we're working on. So we will always be with Gino. He is our brother, but the format was definitely going to be guest centered from now on. Uh, cause that is pretty much what the listening public fed to me, uh, through this last two and a half months of putting this content out there is everybody loves hearing from different people and their cannabis stories. Cause it relates to their lives in a simple way. And that's what we're going to try and do here. So it's still episode 20. So f- that will be the next time we talk personal about this. I'm going to try and interject less about my personal life while I'm interviewing guests, unless it really applies. And then we'll use these, these decade markers to tell you a little bit more about my story and my family. And my family's sick of hearing me. There's, I just, I'm, you know what I'm glad about guys? 
I'm an independent since 16, since I registered to vote, 18 years old. I've never been a Republican or a Democrat. How many people can say that? What, were, what, did you, what are you? Uh, what's your affiliation? I do not have an affiliation. So you're not signed up for as an independent, uh, independent or anything? Well, I mean, you have to be signed I, up for it, something. It, I if you did vote. sign up as an independent, but when I got my card, it said Democrat. I don't know how it got switched or what happened. And I figured I'd just go in there and vote. All right, so you vote Democrat. So you, so you're going no, to the I primaries. Don't necessarily, I, no, necessarily. Oh, I apologize. Please clarify. I didn't necessarily vote just Democrat. I voted for the person, for what they were trying to tell me. I, I didn't download everything that they had to offer, but if what they spoke to me initially, that's what I voted for. Perfect. So I'm trying to paint my picture that I've been different. I've been bucking the trend. I've been a journalist. You I was a journalist for 10 years. Definitely have been different. There's, yes. there's no argument there. <laughs> Intentionally. But the one thing that I want to make sure I put out there for people is I really, when I come up to you, if you see me in public and we haven't met before, I truly just love meeting people. Please say hello to me. I absolutely only care about people as individuals. I could care less about color, what clothes you're wearing, what color your hair is, where you have rings or tattoos. I don't care because I'm going to show you my tattoos and we're going to have a blast conversation. As long as you're a human being that loves to have a conversation and meet new people, we are going to get along great. If you're someone that wants to sit there and judge me or look at me or tear me apart, please don't even say hello. It's not even worth it. If you want to be negative energy, if you got positive, constructive feedback for me that will help this podcast or, or, or help me be a better person, I am all about it. But please don't come to me with any negative and hate because that that is just... That's going to be a very quick conversation for both of us. Hello, goodbye, do you need a hug? And I'm gone. Bob, what do you think? Anything you want to add? What you The next nine episodes now, anything you'd want to see, do, hear, smell, taste? What do you got, Brian? We're definitely going to get into the different um, aspects of what the CBDs CBD, yeah. can do for you. Because all mm-hmm. I know right now is what out there is the products I've seen all emphasize on relaxation. So Bob hasn't listened to our first five episodes, everybody, because we did. We had a bunch of listeners going, Bob, if you listen to the first five episodes. I I don't want to be rude, but all I heard is shout out this and shout out that. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, I'm going to fast forward a little. So So are you going to back and listen to those now, maybe, and try to get pieces out uh, to what you are? Okay, good. All right, please, because there is a lot of knowledge there. The alchemist, pharmacist, Erica Fallon, that episode with her folks is great. She teaches people CBD. She tells us about dosages a little bit. Um, and how she also talks about how the alchemists, pharmacists across the country are talking about CBD and helping their patients. Um, that's definitely an episode I recommend for you. Uh, for those of you looking to hear CBD from not only Gino, but also from another source. Uh, we will in the future have other CBD cannabis people on as well. Um, I like to make sure... Uh, that we give diverse voices. That's going to be huge. So I definitely agree with Bob there. We're going to have a lot of, a lot of CBD talk coming up. I agree with you. Um, it's a big thing coming up in people's lives. I met someone last night who, who wants to add CBD in her life, and, and hopefully we're going to work with her in the future. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Jay, are, are you using CBD yet? A little bit. I tried to um, do it like before bed, just some of the tinctures, try to see if it improved my sleep. But it, um, I only had like a sample of it, so it was only like a couple nights. Yeah, good stuff. Again, That's all we do. It's just relaxation. Trial and error. Right. Yep. Yeah, it, or, but I'll tell you what, the other day I went out and swam a half mile and then I had a basketball game and I've never done CBD tinctures. So one of the things Gino warned about with CBDs, if you take 
different dosages for some people can make you a little more aggressive personality wise. So I said, okay, I'm in really good shape right now. I did a couple, I did probably four drops. I probably shouldn't have done four drops. I did four. And I found that I could have easily been an asshole that night. And I was clean, not drinking. I didn't drink anything. I had a, uh, a small vodka cranberry, but it was like a one-shot vodka and heavy cranberry, and that was. And I also ate, and I found that with that CBD, if I wasn't cognizant, I could have been an asshole coming across like an asshole, um, and probably may have been. So I, I was talking about the. I was at a sports bar. And I was like, "Hey, how come we're watching a repeated game from last week when there's a game on TNT right now? Like, this is a sports bar. Like, don't we have that? Like, why is that automatic? Well, that's a jerk. What I should have said is, "Hey, it's an old game. Do you mind turning that to TNT? There's actually a live game on." But what I turned it into, and the reason why I did, it was well-intentioned because I said it in front of the the um, person that was kind of running the establishment that night, like, hey, you'll make more money if you're showing you're paying attention to what the lineup is of games. You are a sports bar. Your patrons shouldn't be telling a sports bar. So I actually meant it in the nicest way possible, but I'm positive it didn't come off that way. By the end of the night, everything was good. There was no negative animosity. Everybody knows where I'm at and why. And I, you know, I explained to people, I'm just looking to help and make you guys money. Um, and the person end, ended up, you know, kind of saying, thanks for mentioning it. I probably should have had it. So, but CBD, you have to be, that's why I want to remind people, even me, who's cognizant, I try something new and I noticed quick that my personality was not quite where I've been for a long time now. And that was the only difference in that moment. So, everybody's different. Don't everybody think that you hear someone say, I use this much CBD and then you use it and it's going to do the same thing in your body or THC. It's not going to be that case. Everybody's right. trial different. Trial and error, trial and error. Yes. And it depends on your diet and your, and your mood going into it and what other pills you're taking, what opioids you're taking. Um, so just everybody knows ne next episode, uh, um, it's going to be talk of opioids. I've been on the edge of that topic in our first 10 episodes. It's a topic I want to bring up. And I don't want to jinx uh, who's coming on or whatever, but the next episode is definitely going to be some talk of opioids. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. But it's, uh, we're definitely going to be talking on the negative side of opioids. And I'm going to tell a story of two people that uh, for the post office, I used to deliver express mail regularly to customers because it comes in after the carriers would come in. And I saw a couple get op opioids over a two-year span where I saw this lively couple become this really different couple um just through me delivering express pieces over and i'm going to tell that different story as well. in a positive no, or negative no like yeah negative. yeah it's really uh just periphery just seeing some periphery and because i pay attention to things i'm going to tell the story because i pay attention to things so that'll be opioids is going to be next week's talk um negative and positive kratom we're going to talk about kratom and research it and figure it tell people why kratom can help you get off of opioids um so that's gonna be next week a little more serious I know this episode is a little longer than normal, but I want to make 10 always different, 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 different. And I'm going to put something out there to Jay Passamonte right now. I want an old recording of your old band somewhat to close out these decade episodes in the future. I'm oh, you got it. requesting that for you. Cool, man. From, uh, from you. Um, because I want Jay's, him to be unique on these episodes as well. So he used to be a part of a really awesome band. Uh, so from now on, these decades... Um, the 10, 20, the 20, 30, 40, 50th episodes, Jay's band, old band is going to close this off. And I hope you don't cut it off before you listen to that good music. Thanks brother. Oh, always. All right. It's a pleasure, um, being around you, Jay. Thank your wife, Stina, Likewise. for being so nice. Robert, I'm so glad you're on the team. Um, this is really a personal episode for me. I hope everybody appreciates it. I hope my family's not mad for me telling some of our stories, but I have, uh, Bob, am I right? We, 
are people gravitate to my family generally? Like, like, were you always? They're good people. Yeah, definitely good people. I come from good stock, guys, but I come yeah, from you, energetic. You always felt like you guys belong together. Yeah, and we always look out for each other. So, so I tell everybody right now, my my aunts and uncles and my cousins are my brothers and sisters. I mean, just like everybody in this world, but especially that family. I mean, those 48 people, 50 people around deep, uh, those are the people I think about first and foremost every single day above everything else. And it will never change from that. All right. That is the end of 10. I am so happy that we're here and continuing and that we have a following that really likes this message. I care about every one of you I met in the past and will meet in the future. And I cannot wait to hear your story because it's not just about us. Ciao.
But what a waste of words, it's in the earth I knew you first and oh.